Welcome to Grow Your Influence Tree with your host, Leonard Kim. This is the show especially for those that want to be among the top influencers of the world. We'll help you build your brand, tell the most compelling story, build your reputation and grow your audience, and attract the top clients and customers. Listen to the experts. Think like they do, and you'll be on your way. Now, here's Leonard Kim. Everyone, Kim here, and welcome to another episode of Grow Your Influence Tree. Today, we have a very special guest on the line with us, Adasha Townsend, uh, coming straight from Chicago to talk with us today. And she's a food and beverage uh, writer and editor, a contributor for w- WGM Morning News, a Chicago Magazine, and Esquire. And she's been launching a brand new podcast. But um, Adasha, would you like to take a moment to kind of introduce yourself more to everyone who's tuned in with, with us today? Absolutely, Leonard. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Uh, So I've been a food and beverage journalist for more than 20 years, and my focus is uh, cocktail creation. So I talk to a lot of bartenders and mixologists and people behind the scenes of them, as well as chefs and restaurateurs. Um, I talk to a lot of people locally in Chicago, but also around the country just to track the trends. Um, so this podcast I decided to launch. It's going to launch on Friday, April 23rd. It's called Feast and Fashion uh, because ooh. I have – what's that? I said, ooh. <laughs> because those are my two passions, fashion and food. And so I decided to finally combine the two, um, talking to chefs and bartenders and so and so forth, and asking about their personal style, what inspired them, because every, everyone, is, everyone is different. They're a culinary point of view, and so a lot of times that, um, that influence comes from their own personal style and how they move in the world. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that being a pretty big hit. I hope so. Like I said, it launches next Friday, uh, which is April 23rd, and I was just trying to tool in around in my head when I was approached to uh, launch this podcast by the Dine, Dine, Drink, uh, Dine, what is it? It's Eat, Drink, Dine Network, Food Podcast Network. When they first approached me, they were like, we want you to call the unique concept for a culinary podcast, and I was like, what could I do that's kind of different? And so food and fashion. <laughs> that's a pretty good mix, and I bet it's going to be a creative show. So I hope you've, so. Like I said, uh, you know, this is my second podcast. Before this, I had a podcast for about nine months when I was with a, a corporation, and they had me do the uh, the corporate podcast was where I was interviewing chefs and restaurateurs and other people in the space, like managers and stuff of restaurants and people, a lot of people behind the scenes, and that was like so structured and so formal. Here, you know, I get to loosen up a bit, be myself more, and so I really appreciate that I have my own podcast. Nice. So you said you've been doing uh, this type of work for about, like, 20 years. Did you, like, just stumble upon it? Was it something you went to school for? Uh, How did you kind of end up in uh, this field? Um, Okay, yes, I literally stumbled into it. Um, I went to journalism school, and I was hoping to be a fashion designer or uh, writing about fashion and all the fashion designers at the time. I moved to New York uh, for a while, and I had an internship with Essence Magazine, and instead of putting me in the fashion section, they put me in the food section. So I had to edit recipes, interview chefs, 
and so on and so forth. And I was, you know, bored at first because I was like, I don't know anything about food. Why am I doing this? And then when I moved back to Chicago, I, um, I, uh, that was at the same time the trends really started happening in Chicago where um, it was more than just food was more than just sustenance. It was more about being, going out and being seen and going to the next cool spot uh, restaurant-wise. So I, I, was, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is a, this is a great thing. You know, I, I put the knowledge I learned about food and cuisine and interviewing chefs and um, going to different restaurants in New York, and uh, I just put those, those uh, skills I had learned to, learn, um, to, sh- to restaurants in Chicago. Cool. So you unintentionally became the life of the party. A little bit, yes. Uh, first, I was interviewing DJs and, like I said, bartenders and chefs, and then I started really getting into learning more about uh, what makes these uh, restaurateurs and chefs tick. And just, I'm not a reviewer. I do have to say that because some people are like, oh, so you're a reviewer? No, it's more about what are the trends, what are people really into, um, the ingredients, more ingredient-driven, the different cuisines. So many cuisines emerging or people are gravitating to certain types of foods. So I'm more about that and the types of restaurants that are opening more so than, oh, this place should get three or four stars because they're doing this certain thing or they're doing this certain dish or hospitality, even though all of that is very important. Yeah. Did your work allow you to do a lot of traveling, like out to Los Angeles, Miami, New York, and other uh, food staples in uh, the United States? Throughout the years, um, I've gone, you know, I've I've, uh, checked the food scene in L.A., San Francisco, Houston, Austin, uh, of course, New York again and again and again, Montreal, um, just in the States. Uh, Miami, Miami is very, I would say it's very seafood oriented. And, of course, it's, there's a lot of Latin, uh, huge Latin vibe there. Um, Nashville, Nashville is really booming now. So um, I think I kind of know the pulse of the food scene in pretty much every city now based on my travels and experiences and uh, interviewing chefs and restaurateurs. Awesome. What's your favorite place to eat? In Chicago or throughout the country? Or favorite place in general, like Los Angeles, Miami, New York, Tennessee? In Chicago, I would have it actually um, my favorite restaurant succumbed to the pandemic and it was a, a restaurant called Blackbird, and it was pretty world famous. I mean, like everybody, if they came to Chicago, if you were a real foodie, you really wanted to come to Chicago. And so um, this restaurant was tiny, and it was really, um, it was very intimate, and you were like almost shoulder to shoulder with the people next to you. But the food was so good; it was everything was seasonal. And they had a cocktail program that became award-winning. Blackbird won so many awards. You name it, they won every award. Michelin stars, uh, James Beard awards. And then it's actually um, from a group called um, One-Off Hospitality. So they still have some restaurants left beyond that. And I'm a huge fan of Avec, which is another one of their restaurants. And then they have another one called Publican. So a uh, huge fan of Chicago's restaurants, so I have to give those shout-outs 
But then in Nashville, which is kind of like my second home because I have a lot of family there, I like uh-huh. a lot of the restaurants there, a lot of homegrown restaurants. A lot of restaurants are in the neighborhoods. Nice. In the, um, yeah, very southern focused. So are a lot of these people the people that you've been bring that you're going to be inviting on to your food or fashion and feasts uh podcast? Um I hope so. Um it's not going to just be Chicago chefs and restaurateurs I've met throughout the years. I've been in fact today was the first time I've been recording these for 2 weeks now and uh, no for about 3 or 4 weeks I've been I've been recording um, um, some of the ep- episodes, and today was the first day that I interviewed somebody from Chicago. Um, I've been interviewing people from South Carolina, uh, people from Nashville, L.A., uh, Arizona, a chef in, out in Arizona, a private chef, New York. Um, I have somebody tomorrow from Puerto Rico. So I'm trying to get as many people, diverse backgrounds, um, all over the country. The, the background stories are so interesting, and I want to make sure it's diverse, interesting, and that it's not the same story, and um, definitely different cuisines. That's awesome. Have you ever met that guy who has a steakhouse over in New York, and he tosses the salt on it, the salt bay guy? I have not met him, but it's funny that you, you mentioned him, because I write for this... Um, one of my many jobs, because I like, as you said in the beginning, I write for several publications. Uh, this one publication I write for, um, I write about all the steakhouses in the country, and I didn't realize that Steak Bay has so many restaurants in the world. He has so many of those. I thought there was only the one in New York, but there's one in Miami, there's one in New York, and uh, there are a bunch in... Uh, Europe, and there's one in Abu Dhabi, Abu Dhabi. So there's so many of his, so many of his steakhouses, and they look pretty good. But he has a burger on the menu now that looks delicious. Oh, nice. Yeah, I thought about going, then I saw the prices, and I was like, ah, I don't know. Is he going to be there? If he is, then it's worth it. If he's not, <laughs> right. I don't know. <laughs> definitely expensive, and I think that's why he added a burger on the menu at some of the locations just to bring down the price. But the price, it's not going to be like your regular fast food um, hamburger. It's going to be, the price is definitely going to be a little up there, too. I have a feeling, because the meat is premium. The burgers are, uh, burger patties are premium. Nice. That's pretty awesome. So, um, throughout the years, like, did you find that it was a pleasurable experience really going through uh, the journey of becoming a journalist? Yes, because I have to say that um, I've been very fortunate to write about the things I want to write about. I was only a news reporter very, very briefly, writing about politics and crime and, you know, just the, the humdrum articles that you'll see in the newspaper. And I quickly got out of that. I got into my beat, and I got to write about exactly what I wanted to write about and, that's, um, and cover it as well as on television and radio. So I was very fortunate to have um, a pretty fun and <laughs> uh, vibrant uh, journalism career thus far. Awesome. Do you feel that your career has opened up a lot of doors for you to do a lot of different things that you never thought were possible? Absolutely, because 
When I went to journalism school, I went to be a magazine editor, writer. I never thought anything else. I, you know, my dream was to become, you know, an editor at Vogue or Essence or something like that. And I never thought anything else beyond that. It was always, I don't get to interview all these designers up and coming and these famous designers and models and stuff like that. I never thought about being on television and uh, doing reviews on television and radio and writing a few books. I never imagined. I figured at some point I would write a book of fiction or something like that, but never had I imagined that I would be doing regular television segments. And podcasts weren't even around when I was coming out of college. So this is something that is very new for me. Oh, how many books have you written? I've written a few books. Um, None are are, uh, fiction yet. I'm working on that. All of them are culinary focused. I did a guide to Chicago called Cheap Chow Chicago in the early 2000s. And then I wrote some biographies. Uh, There were were e-books, but they were books, nevertheless. Like a biography on Beyonce. I think I did one on Whitney Houston. I can't even remember. It It was like a bunch of... Uh, long-form books that I wrote and uh, some dietary guides that um, this publishing company assigned me. It was just it was just kind of fun just to add to uh, my portfolio of things that I've done. Oh, cool! Were you able to meet like Whitney Houston and them, or were you just uh, or when you were writing the book, or no? No, I did not get to meet Whitney Houston, unfortunately, Aww. but I did. When I was at the Chicago Tribune, I did review um, one of her final concerts, and it was it, it was it was something else. It was very emotional. Awesome! Yeah, that must be a pretty significant experience seeing one of her final concerts. I saw Prince's very last concert in Chicago, and uh, that was in two thousand. I think it was the summer of two thousand thirteen. And um, the way I got on the list is hilarious because (laughs) as a food, because I haven't covered music, live uh, concerts in years. I've only been food and fashion and that sort of thing. So from what I understand, uh, Prince was the final call. He was the only one who was going to approve the guest list. And so I was like, okay, I'm doomed. He's going to look at my name like, who is this person and what does she write? And so when they told me that Prince, has uh, approved you to be on the press list. And I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. And the only reason why he did that was because I said that, you know, I was going to, it was at City Winery in Chicago. So, you know, I had the wine aspect. So I could get that in there somehow. You know, it was still kind of foodie because it was at this very popular, um, the, the concert was being held at this very popular restaurant in Chicago. So I kind of got that in there. So, whew. But, yes, um, I attended Prince's very last concert in Chicago, and it was a blast. And he sang pretty much everything. It was fantastic. It, he, I was so happy because it was the only time I got to see Prince live. Wow. That must have been a spectacular experience, and that press pass must have worked wonders, especially with him being able to approve it. Yes, and to know that uh, it kind of, like, sent sent chills down my back knowing that Prince saw my name and was like, yeah, okay, she can come. And I was like, <laughs> that if Prince was approving the press list, that just, that just, oh, that just sent me through the roof. I was like, wow, that's such an honor that Prince 
pays that much attention to, attention to details that he approves the press list, and I somehow made the list. And it was a very short list from what I understand because the sta- it was a standing room only concert. They had to take all the tables out. So there wasn't enough room. There wasn't a lot of room as it was. But then I was warned, absolutely no videos and no cameras or you will get kicked out. And, of course, I didn't do that. But I saw his people, I saw the security actually physically remove people for taking video at that, car- at that show, which was hysterical to see. It was wild. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, <laughs> this is a great note for us to leave off on the commercial break. Uh, where can people find you online, Nadasha? If they go to TownsendMediaMagic.com, that's where all my articles are. They're there, my podcast information, and some other cool things that I'm working on. It's all on that page. Okay, perfect. And you can always find me at Mr. Leonard Kim on Twitter, and we'll be back after this commercial break. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We get Guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Want to improve your health, business, and life just by listening to a radio show? Well, we can at least move you in the right direction. Listen for Spotlight, the Allison H. Larson Show. Each week, Allison will speak with amazing guests and find out what's changed their lives and how they are changing the lives of others. From beauty to health to business and personal relationships, we're here to inspire you to live your life of passion. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers channel we don't follow we lead join us the voice america influencers channel this is grow your influence tree to reach leonard kim or his guest call into the program at 1-866-472-5795 that's 1-866-472-5795 or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey, everyone. Leonard Kim here with Adasha Townsend. Uh, we've been talking a lot about Adasha's journey into the uh, food and wine and beverage industry and her 20 years of collective experience going out there from being a journalist all the way up to creating her own uh, podcast. Uh, it was recent... Uh, 
fashion, right? Yes, feast and fashion. <laughs> awesome. And uh, for this segment, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the last few years. I, I mean, the world's kind of changed dramatically. There's been a pandemic that's been going on. Culturally, things have shifted in the world. And a lot of minorities have been able to like kind of speak up and find their own voices and whatnot. Uh, what's mm-hmm. that been like in the food and beverage industry? Well, like you said... This, is, this shift has been happening over the past few years, but it was a slow, very slow crawl shift. And only, I feel like after the uh, social media, un, social media, social unrest from last summer, uh, things really came to a boil. Um, I had been... Um, I have been contacted by so many people, you know, wanting to get my opinion on things. Um, publications were coming out of the woodwork, all sorts of things. And so if that was happening for me, I know for a fact that uh, black chefs and uh, restaurateurs and other people in the culinary space were definitely, they were definitely uh, finally getting their voice out there. And not to say my voice wasn't out there because as a journalist, I've always had this platform but it's always been a platform where I had to toe a certain line because I've always been a mainstream journalist. So it was always that I would cover everyone equally. My coverage has always been very diverse. Um, but I always felt like I have to be admit, I have to be um, honest about this. I always felt like if I had too many black chefs or restaurateurs or something like that, that my editor would be like, wait a minute, you know, there's no balance here. What are you doing? And I would ask, I'm not going to say for what publications or anything, but I would ask, hey, can I do this, um, can I do this column on black um, uh, restaurants on the south side or the best black chefs? I feel they're really making some noise throughout the country or in Chicago, the, black, the best African focused restaurants or African-inspired, and I was always turned down. It was, I was always given a deaf ear. But in the last couple of years, especially after last year, it's like whatever you want. They love the ideas. All of a sudden, people were really interested. And I'm glad. I'm not turning any of, it down, any of it down because that finally gives these people a voice who've been out there all along. They've been out there all this time doing their thing. So it's great to see that people are finally getting the recognition that they so deserve. Yeah, I've seen a lot of companies try to do that as well over here, and it seems to be working. Uh, one instance that kind of felt that kind of failed back on them was like Uber Eats. They were like, okay, these are the black-owned businesses that you oh, could go God. and stop that and they got sued over it which is complete bs because all they were trying to do is help help people get their businesses out there they got sued yeah they got sued by whom uh law group that said it wasn't uh it wasn't uh it wasn't uh that was being discriminatory huh are you saying that they they were sued because people felt like they were being discriminatory about only feature, only focusing on the black businesses? Yeah, and I don't know if that's a legitimate law, but uh, they were sued for that, which uh, okay. I feel is kind of wrong. Well, what's interesting is that 
when I would see the black restaurants pop up on the Uber Eats app, a lot of those restaurants were not black owned. And so I remember there was a big, um, there was a big controversy about that because just because, you know, it was a restaurant so- serving Southern folk- focused food, sometimes they were thrown in the mix. So whoever was uh, coming up with the criteria basing us on, they kind of got it wrong because every, a lot of other places, I know for a fact, a lot of places were thrown in the mix and were not black owned. So uh, I know what was happening in Chicago. I didn't know um, what was going on throughout the country though. Yeah, on the West Coast, uh, Uber definitely got sued over that, so that was kind of interesting. I, I mean, it seemed like it had good intent, but the delivery and um, legal uh, outlets who were just looking for a dime kind of ruined it. Well, that's too bad. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, it was a great idea. But yes, I do believe that... Um, um, over this past year, so many people have gotten the voice they deserve, different platforms. You're seeing more diversity, um, more sh- black chefs and bartenders getting their due, and not just getting the visibility, but actually dollars behind it, which is more important, because it's great to have all the coverage in the world, but if you can't uh, get paid for it, then it really doesn't make any sense. So that dollar amount is really, really important, and I'm glad to see that happen as well. Yeah, and it's definitely happening over here too. Like the LA Times for their food column, they've become a lot more diversified as well, and the changes are kind of trickling down, which is a good thing. And hopefully that's happening across the rest of the United States as well. Yes, I'm very happy to see it. And, and like I said, like I said, um, I no longer feel um, I no longer feel timid to pitch some of the stories that I had been trying to pitch for years. I feel like now they're welcoming welcoming them with open arms, or sometimes they're coming to me and saying, "Hey, can you do this?" Or please make sure that you have this ad or the other in your column or in your writing. Make sure you're representative of all communities. And so I was like, "Oh, finally, I finally get a chance to, to do what I really want to do." So that's that's just uh, one of the advantages of what's happened over the past year, that people are getting the voices and the visibility that we've been begging for for eons. Yeah, and I think it's definitely a good change, especially with a lot of minorities being focused on right now. And with how the United States has been like designed for all this time, it's good to see a lot of those um, foundational elements being questioned and changed so that we could all have more of an equal society going forward. Absolutely. I, I 100% agree. And I'm all about, on my platforms, my different platforms, I interview everyone. To me, I really don't care. It's, it's, all, it's, it's all about, does your food taste good? Or do you make really good drinks? Do you know what you're talking about? Do you have a personality? Those are the important factors for me to interview someone, whether it's for the upcoming podcast or whether it's for one of my articles. It's someone who has a voice. And so I think... That, um, that is helping um, 
with all of the social media change. I keep saying social media. With all the social changes that have been going on for the past couple of years, I feel that it just opens the door so more people have voices. Um, it shows more diversity. More people get to learn about other people. We get to eat great food from all different cultures. And, we, and when you learn about the food, you learn about the cultures, and then you learn about people, and maybe we can finally get along, right? Yeah, and food is a great equalizer because once you dive into a new type of cuisine, then it makes you question and wonder more about what that society's like and mm-hmm. figure out more things. And it kind of like gives you like this new little deep dive into a new culture, makes you want to even travel to new places so you could explore mm-hmm. more of the food and kind of opens up your eyes. And all that really just starts with a dish, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> I know, because you can say so many stories with one dish. There's so many stories when you, like you said, when you deep dive and go into the, each ingredient and find the stories behind those ingredients and why people are using those particular ingredients in a dish or there's the techniques or where you learn that dish from, how many different varieties of that dish. It tells so many stories. And so... Um, so yeah, you're getting me all excited. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Uh, so what's one of the best stories that you might have published in the last few years that you might have not had a chance to do so like, um, early in your career? Oh, wow. Um, last year, my first article for Esquire ever was about this, uh, black woman, uh, pastry chef, self-taught pastry chef who also happened to be hearing impaired. And oh. when I pitched the article to my editor, she was like, hmm, that's really interesting. We've never featured a, uh, a pastry chef before in our uh, restaurant coverage. And B, I don't think we've ever featured um, a, um, a chef with a disability. And I hate to use that word disability, but the fact that she was hearing impaired you know, it would it brought about some challenges, and we talk about that in the article that I wrote about some of the challenges that she faced. And she thought that was, my editor thought it was really interesting. And based on that article, it wound up getting a lot of, it went viral because of that, because there were so many different as, aspects of her story. And uh, her pastries were out of this world on top of it. So it wasn't just like she was just baking apple pies at home. I mean, her pies are awesome, and uh, they're just beautiful. And she so, somehow taught herself to use all of these um, premium ingredients, and she learned this from her dad who was making pies at home. It's called Justice of the Pies, by the way. And she was making quiches. So it was like, it wasn't, it, it was a story about a woman who was making these premium pies with these silky uh, premium ingredients, and she had this backstory that was so beautiful. I was just so honored that she, that I was her first national story, because no one had ever written about her beyond Chicago. So I was so excited. So that was probably my biggest story to date, and I have written national stories before, but that, I felt like that was so big, because she had such um, a fascinating story. That was the yeah, biggest one. Yeah, pretty amazing. And then um, I've had stories. Well, I had this one on the Travel Channel. They came to Chicago and they wanted to do something on street eats. So they asked. They were the one to talk about when Chicago first had the food trucks, and the food trucks first came to Chicago. 
So they had, so this is all pre-pandemic, of course. So they had me go around the city and find out who are the best food trucks. And not just food trucks, but food stands. And I found some really interesting, really fascinating people who had never been talked to before by the media. And they had been, and one guy, he was, he had one in Pilsen, a food stand where he sold pretty much everything at Pilsen's uh, Mexican neighborhood in Chicago. And we talked about every, and, and he had, no one had ever, we had, I had talked to him through an interpreter, and I don't think anyone had ever stood there and just sat, talked to him about his life story. And we did not get a chance to use all of it for the, uh, the segment on the Travel Channel, but the fact that we just wanted to know his life story, how he wound up owning this food, this, uh, food stand, and how important it was for him and his family, I was just almost in tears. Those were two of my favorite stories. Oh, wow. That sounds like a pretty phenomenal story, and it's something I definitely want to read at some point. Oh, that was on the uh, Travel Channel. I'm sure oh. it's still on there somewhere. Um, so there, So usually, like I said, it's always about the food, but then you go deeper and find out why people are doing what they're doing or about the culture. Some people have ties to certain foods and ingredients, and I really want to know why, you know. Sometimes it could just be like my grand, you know, has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with that person's culture, but their grandmother cooked it for them. And I, she cooked it. It smelled good, and I wanted it, and I wanted to learn how to cook it when I, once I got grown. So I got her recipe. Some things are just that simple sometimes. <laughs> yeah, they are. And that's the beauty about life because with everything food related, uh, it could be just duplicatable. Once you have the uh, ingredients and the timing and everything down, it's something that you could share from one person to the next and enjoy at home. Absolutely. I'm still, I still want my significant other uh, has deep Italian roots. And I'm still trying to figure out how to get the gnocchi recipe from his 97-year-old grandmother. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully I can get that out of her one day. (laughs) Is she holding up to her grave? (laughs) I think she may have taught people in her family, but I'm I'm still considered an outsider. And I don't think, uh, usually when we go to her house, She's already cooked everything, so I can't even sneak over her shoulder and look to see <laughs> how she's doing stuff because she's already cooked everything. She cooks everything from scratch, the meatballs, of course, the pasta, the gnocchi. She hand rolls herself every little piece. So oh, wow. I, yeah, I just want to learn how to make gnocchi. It, just, it, it tastes so good. I'd probably make it every week if I learned how, but it's one of my favorite dishes, and I just want to learn how to make it. I, I really do. And make it perfect. Yeah, I mean, it sounds interesting, especially since she makes it all by hand to kind of get into that process. And mm-hmm. it's not an easy thing to learn either. Mm-mm. No, it's not. And she's, like I said, she's 97 years old, and she has her own family recipe for it. So I'll probably never get it. He doesn't even have it. So. <laughs> 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 well, it's about time for another commercial break. Uh, where can people find you online again? TownsendMediaMagic.com. That's where my podcast information is and all of my articles. My newsletter is a culinary-focused newsletter that talks about everything that's going on in the industry, especially, especially as we're going through this pandemic. 
Awesome. And you can find me at Mr. Leonard Kim on Twitter, and we'll be back after this commercial break. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. Get Unchained. Tune in every Monday for Jane Unchained on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Featuring nationally recognized, best-selling author, TV journalist, and social media influencer, Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Jane Unchained Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencer channel. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business and the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Class. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel with a replay on Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. This is Grow Your Influence Tree. To reach Leonard Kim or his guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey, everyone. Leonard Kim here with the Dasha Townsend. And we've been talking a lot about culturally how things have shifted and how food and uh, beverages have uh, really grown in uh, the United States. And one thing that we wanted to kind of move into now is uh, bringing everything home. Like during the pandemic, a lot of families have spent a lot more time together. Cooking has become more of a thing. And Adasha, you've had the opportunity to learn from some of the best chefs and mixologists in the world, right? Yes. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, probably like it was actually the second week uh, we were in in Chicago, so I would say mid-March uh, of last year, I started this thing called the Instagram Live Culinary Series. So I was going on, on Instagram Live for pretty much every day at the beginning, and I was talking to different chefs and um, bartenders and wine experts and just getting their culinary point of view. And that's how that spiraled, of course, into the Feast and, pa- Feast and Fashion podcast. 
But I was having these guys make cocktails. They were making their favorite dishes, comfort food dishes. Um, I'm still only doing it. I'm still doing it maybe once a week now. Uh, but then, you know, nobody was doing anything. Everybody was just sitting at home. So everybody's got all this food at home and ingredients because we were doing nothing but, what, grocery shopping? So um, when I was talking to these guys, I'm, like, getting all these ideas for recipes and watching their techniques that it just made me a better home cook. It really, really did. Yeah, and I could see that, especially being able to be around some of the best chefs in the world. And being able to bring that home, uh, were there certain things that you asked these chefs so that you could kind of duplicate their recipes? Well, there was one chef in particular that, oh, my God, he was so awesome. He was making a salmon dish. It was like salmon and, I believe, pasta. Yeah, it was a salmon and pasta dish. And he was Cuban. He's Cuban, but he made uh, this dish. He was like, I can cook anything. And so he decided to do this. So I'm a huge fan of salmon, especially cooking it at home, because it's the one fish that I know I won't ruin. It's, it's just really easy for me to make it. So he was giving me all these tips on how to perfectly sear the salmon, and he's like, yeah, you know, well, don't ever put it above four, um, on the four level on your stove. And then he's like, you know, just put a little oil in there and make sure that that's crackling before you even put the fish in there, and then constantly uh, rotate the fish to make sure that it's all the getting all the way through. Season it well, of course, before you put it in there. And then he was, um, what else did he say? Um, he just gave some really, really good tips how to flip it perfectly. And I have not had a bad piece of fish ever since I talked to him. Not that they ever wow. did. It was perfect to a T, that fish, that, that salmon. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yes, and then just the ingredients, uh, lots of herbs. Um, this other woman that I talked to, she had her own spice. She has her own spice company, Savor Spice Company, and uh, she's African American, so she um, really leaned into her her um, her heritage, and she started. She made this African curry spice that she has. Uh, mm. She made that. She has uh, jerk spice. She has all these different spices. And so after talking to her and just talking about these spices, and she's talking about all the ingredients in them and that they don't contain a lot of sodium in them, I was I have to get some of that. So I ordered a bunch, and I just started using it on all of my food, on the chicken, on I used it on steak one time, the salmon, and watching her techniques, reading her recipes. I've been putting my own spins on them, of course, but using her her spices and her seasonings, I really felt, took my food to the next level. It really did. Nice. What, mm-hmm. what do and, you, oh, go on. No, I'm sorry. Go on. Oh, what do you think um, each person's unique food experience says about themselves? That's a very good question. Um, I just feel that one person can make fish completely one way, than another person, and that's based on where they grew up, what experiences they have throughout the years, or what have you. But if we pay attention to each other, we can learn stuff from each other. Because like I said, I've been cooking salmon for years, and the things that he told me to do with that fish, I had never done before. And putting that young woman's spices on that fish turned into something completely different. So I just feel that culinarily, we can all learn from one another. I truly believe that. So we so can get people together. 
experience that we like learn from and then stack on one person's experience to another person's experience and when we stack on a few different things together then what we end up with is some kind of new masterpiece absolutely like gumbo (laughs) yeah gumbo has so many different cultures in that one pot uh they have asian influences west african influences french influences uh, I believe Cuban influences so many so many influences in that American, of course, Southern American influences just in one pot. So I think that that's a, a pretty good metaphor for what we learn from one, one another. Yeah, I haven't had gumbo for a while. It seems like I should probably get some in the next few days. <laughs> Where do you get good gumbo in L.A.? <laughs> uh, no, you just get gumbo. You don't get good gumbo. <laughs> <laughs> when I go to L.A., I want fresh <laughs> fish and sushi. And you guys, you guys from the, I haven't been there and since, oh, this is embarrassing. Oh, wait, no. I, I, last time I was in L.A. was for my birthday, and that was in 2017. And we went to... Um, uh, Santa Bar, we not Santa Barbara, Santa Monica, and spent the day. And I remember, uh, I had a lot of fun there. Had a lot of fun. Is Santa Monica where Shutters is? Uh, let me check. Yes, yes, I, I believe so. That hotel and just a lot of fresh fish, a lot of fresh ingredients, and um, not not a lot of uh, not a lot of barbecue out there or a lot of Southern-focused food out there, but uh, there's good food in L.A. if you know what you're looking for. I mean, like, yeah. really hearty food if you know where to look. Yeah, barbecue, uh, we have a pretty good spot called Robert Earl's Barbecue, but it's all the way down in Long Beach, and you know, it's like an hour away from the city. That's a and long way. The next best place is, like, halfway in between here and San... Oh, not halfway. More like two-thirds of the way in between here and San Diego. So that's kind of a stretch. Wow. Wow. That's a a long way to go for barbecue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we don't really have that many good local options. You got to come to Chicago to get some good barbecue. Yeah, I do. You have to show me around next time I go. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Chicago has the spots. It really does. All yeah. over the city, not just in one neighborhood either. Yeah. Hopefully when this pandemic lifts up, I can take a trip out there. Same for me going to L.A. Um, like I said, I haven't been there since 2017. It seems like a million years ago. Uh, I haven't been on a plane since January of 2020. Uh. I think for me, it's, uh, when's the last time I've been on a plane? I think it was uh, 2019. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. It seems like, it seems foreign to get on a plane right now for me. <laughs> oh, actually, no. I went on a plane in uh, November last year, but then the whole plane was absolutely empty. Wow. You were the only person on the plane? No, there were like five people. <laughs> oh. Wow, that's kind yeah. of that's kind of eerie, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's kind of a trip. <laughs> but not that. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. It, it doesn't really feel 
it, it feels kind of weird. Like I've been thinking, I I wanted to spend last year just traveling and exploring the world, but then the pandemic happened and I freaked out because I heard of a couple who got like stranded in another country. I'm like maybe I'll just wait until everything's back to normal. <laughs> Wow. What's your dream place to travel? Where do you want to go, really? I want to check out Sydney. Yes. Same. Absolutely. That's one of the, that's definitely on my bucket list to go to Sydney, Australia, and South Africa. Yeah, South Africa looks fun, too. And from what I understand, they have a really good food and beverage scene, and, um, in South Africa, and I've had some friends who have gone, and they had a really good time. They they had an awesome time there. Yeah, I chat with a few people here and there from South Africa online, and they seem like a lively bunch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yes, yes, it's definitely definitely on the bucket list. As is, I've never been to Asia, so that's on my list as well. There's. A lot of countries I want to go to there, starting with starting with Thailand. I really want to go there. I want to go to Bangkok. That could be fun. Uh, I want to check out Vietnam and check out like their dollar and two dollar foods. I was just about to say that. I've, I've interviewed a young lady a couple of weeks ago, and she talked about that, and that you know you can eat like a king and a queen. Um, on just a few bucks there, and my goodness, and the food is just so great and freshly made and everything. I'm dying. I'm dying to go. Yeah, I think what was inspiring for me to kind of want to go to Vietnam is a picture of Obama eating pho at one of the local <laughs> restaurants. <laughs> well, was he with Anthony Bourdain? Yeah, I think so. I, I think I, I think that was it. I, I can't remember, but yes, he made it look really, really good. That would be, if you're going to do it, do it there. <laughs> That's yeah. true. Uh-huh. Anthony Bourdain actually went to one of my friend's restaurants, and it's someplace I'm going today, too. Really? In L.A.? Yeah, in L.A. What type of food? Well, it's Korean food. Oh, okay. Do they have his picture on the wall? Yeah, they have his picture on the wall. Uh, they de- they definitely documented that and made it a big deal once he came. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, I've met him one time, and that was before he wrote his second book, and it was at a restaurant in Chicago. It was a book signing, actually. That's what it was. It was a book signing for his second book, and we briefly shook hands, and he was super nice. And he was kind of shy. He said hello. I didn't get a photo with him. And then, you know, I went to go get a cocktail or something. And then years later, I he had a site. Um, it was a companion site for um, his show. Um, uh, it's escaping me the name of it, but the CNN show. He had a website, and he had different writers in different cities, and I was one of the writers for Chicago. So oh, I wrote a couple of there and I was going to be assigned a lot more articles and then he passed away and the site kind of just kind of went away which is too bad um, mm. a parts unknown parts unknown that was the name of the site and the name of the CNN show and uh, I was so excited because I was hoping I'd get a chance to meet him 
and again, and this time, like, have a meaningful conversation with him. So that really bummed me out when he he passed away. It was just it was just so tragic. Yeah, it was really a huge tragedy, and I think it really touched the world and made a big impact on a lot of people's lives when he passed away. Oh yeah, I'm still I still can't believe that that he's gone. I felt like he had so much more to give. And uh, I watch his shows every. They'll come in. They'll be on um, on demand, or um, they'll be on rerun every once in a while. And I'll catch one, and I just get so sad. But then at the same time, he was just such a genius. He was just so great at what he did. And uh, there are people who have food shows, and they do similar treks into other cities, and they do that type of thing. But he truly had a gift with connecting with people over food. He really had a gift. Yeah, he really did. And it really just shows the power of food all together and how it could unite people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I've, like I said, I've seen other people's shows. I watch pretty much any kind of food, any kind of show that features food and is talk, talking about culture. I will watch, but I've never connected with a host like I did with, as I did with uh, Bourdain. Yeah, that's true. And he really provided a very different experience. Well, it was a pleasure to have you on the show today, Adasha. Um, where can people find you again online? Um, TownsendMediaMagic.com. That's where you'll find information about my podcast and um, a lot of my writings. Thank you so much for having me, Leonard. I, I really appreciate it. Oh, anytime, and thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today. Oh, everyone who's tuning in, thank you for joining us for another episode of Grow Your Influence Tree. Uh, you can always find me at Mr. Leonard Kim on Twitter, and we'll be back, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for making us part of your week. Listen for Grow Your Influence Tree with Leonard Kim every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Stand out, stand apart, and become a top influencer. We'll see you here next week.